Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Our Father, we come before your presence in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus, looking to you to unleash the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost among us tonight, making us, dear Father God, able to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness. Father, I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and for thinking through my thoughts and speaking through my lips that, dear Father God, that which you would say would be communicated effectively into our hearts and minds and that you would, by your Spirit, assimilate everything in every person's life accordingly. And, Father, for everything that is accomplished and achieved in this process, we'll be quick to give you the honor and glory for it because we know that it's only by your mighty power and glory that these things are achieved and accomplished and by your anointing this work is done. And so, Father, in advance, we give it to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at John 10.10 in just a moment, but first I would like to reiterate a few things we talked about last Wednesday evening. We're talking about Jesus. Pretty good subject, wouldn't you say? We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And we said last week that Jesus came for certain reasons. And it's important for us to understand some of these reasons because I believe that Jesus was successful. And if He was, then His success should affect us in our lives. Isn't that true? Because, you see, He didn't come for Himself. He came for us. He was doing fine. And everything was okay as far as He was concerned. But the mess was down here on earth. And so he came from heaven above to the earth beneath, and he came on a mission, and he had a purpose. He had a plan to fulfill, and he did so. And the Bible reveals to us certain reasons why he came. And one of those reasons was found in Luke 19.10 that says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Well, either he did or he didn't. And we all know that he did. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And therefore, that means whatever it was that man lost in the beginning, Jesus has restored back to him. And we said that in the beginning, man lost a lot of things. He lost his relationship with the Father. He lost his identity. He lost his purpose for being. He lost direction. He had no direction in his life. And also, he lost his dominion. He was not living according to the standards that God had established for him when he created him. All that was lost, and Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save man and restore his relationship to the Father. He came also to restore his identity, his lost dominion, his purpose for being, to give him direction, and really to give his life value, purpose, and meaning once again. And he did all that. And we have talked about that. 
We also said in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. It says, for this purpose was the Son of Man manifested, that he might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. And we had talked about that last week, how Jesus came and did what he had to do to overthrow Satan and all the powers of darkness. He took upon himself flesh, came in human form, and through his death, he destroyed him that had power of death, that is the devil. The devil has been destroyed. The devil has been defeated. In actuality, the, the, the whole forces of darkness are paralyzed when it comes to the life of the believer. Have we ever realized that statement? Have we ever walked in the reality of that statement? Satan has been paralyzed and the kingdom of darkness has been paralyzed with regard to the life of the believer. In other words, believers are positioned above all these powers of darkness and they have been placed beneath our feet. And it's important that we understand how this took place and have insight into it so that we can enforce Satan's defeat. And not give him any place or dominion in our lives. Jesus overthrew Satan, paralyzed him, stripped him of his power and authority that was given to him when man fell from the beginning. He made a show of him openly, the Bible says in Colossians. In other words, he made an open display of Satan's defeat before all of his cohorts and all of the kingdom of darkness. And the whole host of darkness right now recognizes the fact that Jesus is victorious over all their powers, including over their leader in whom they trusted. And now Satan is fearful of Jesus. He is afraid of Jesus. And you and I look like Jesus. Because, you see, we're cleansed by his life giving blood. And as a result of that cleansing, we look like Him. And Satan can't tell the difference. And so when we go about doing things in the name of Jesus, he has to run from us as in terror. And it's important that each and every one of us understand this and learn how to walk in the authority of it so as to put the devil to flight when he tries to interfere with the program of our lives. And so we are to do that, knowing that Jesus accomplished His purpose. Jesus fulfilled the mission. And no longer is Satan Lord over our lives. No longer does he have dominion over our lives. He has no right to interfere. As a matter of fact, he has no right to attach himself to us in any way. According to the word of God. And you see, we need, we need to, to renew our minds to this truth. So that by it, we can be free from all the harassments of the enemy. Satan really has no right to interfere with us. And with the program that God has for our lives. None whatsoever. No right whatsoever. Well, we talked about that at length. And, you know, we, we, we kind of went through it. Giving, you know, you a picture, I believe, a mental picture of what Jesus actually did. And, you know, I'm still excited about that. I don't know about, you know, what it did for you. But I know I'm still excited about that. And I'm looking forward to the day that we can just sit back in the theater of heaven, you know, with our popcorn and, 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 you know, some kind of snacks or something like that. And just sit back and watch as God replays the defeat of Jesus. 
And I can just see everybody after he's completed it, you know, after the show's over, standing up and giving Jesus a standing ovation, asking for an encore. What about you? I want to see it again. 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 Well, you know what, beloved? I really believe that God wants us to get a better glimpse of it right here on this earth. I really do. As a matter of fact, I know that he does because I read somewhere in the book of Ephesians, somewhere around chapter 1, verses 17 through 23, where the Apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and gave him to be the head over all things unto the church. Amen. Far above all, principality, power, might, and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Can you see that? He is saying, I want you to be able to see that. I want you to be able to understand that. You should pray to God for that revelation so that you can have this understanding and insight. Because what it does, it gives you power and authority over all the power of the enemy. And the enemy, you'll find out, is beneath your feet. But we've got to be able to see this and be enlightened to it. And that's what the Word of God says, that we should pray about and pray for, so that we can have a revelation of Satan's defeat and Jesus' victory. And our position in Him over all the power of darkness, knowing that He is beneath our feet because of Jesus. Not because of who we are, but because of Jesus. Every child of God has a right to use the name of Jesus to put the devil to flight. Amen? Amen? Every single one of us. And He wants us to see that. And so Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And He He did. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he did. Satan's been paralyzed. He has been dethroned. He is brought to naught. He is declining to his end. Can you say hallelujah? He's declining to his end. He's not, in, he's not even in the plus, on the plus side. He's negative, below zero, declining to his end, on his way downward, praise God. And we know what his end is, don't we? The lake of fire. Hallelujah. Thank God Almighty. Well, that's not all that he came to do. You see, there was still another thing that he had to do and wanted to do. But I want you to see it right here in John's Gospel, chapter 10. and verse 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. How many of you know that? Amen. How many you know that Satan's not your friend? Amen. Isn't that true? How many of you know that you're not going to pal around with the devil? There are those that think, you know, they're just going to go on down to, to hell and, and, and have a big old party with the devil and his bunch. No, there's no party in, in hell. The Bible says of hell and eternal damnation where the fire is never going to be quenched, where the worm dieth not, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound like a party or a picnic to me, does it to you? Mm-mm, not at all. And so we know then that Satan came along for no reason but to steal, to kill, to destroy. How many of you know that he's never changed his program? Never, not once, not at all. Still the same thing. Stealing, killing, and destroying. Anything that steals, anything that kills, anything that destroys is straight from the pit of darkness. That's exactly what Satan's purpose is. He is out and about with all of his cohorts right now attempting to do the very thing, these very things right here in people's lives. That's his objective. That's what he wants to accomplish. But you know what? Jesus didn't come for that reason. The Bible says right here, I am come. See, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus make such a long trip? Why did Jesus make such a long journey? 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you were going a distance, I mean far away, I would think there'd be a reason behind your going. I heard someone say, we're going to California to visit some loved ones for Christmas. Well, that's a pretty good reason. That's a long trip. What would motivate you to do that? Well, because we haven't seen them in a long time and we love them. And besides, they've had some children. I haven't even seen my grandchildren yet. I want to get over there and see my grandchildren. I mean, that's a pretty good reason, wouldn't you say? And so love motivated them to go over to California. Isn't that true? And so they set out to take that long journey. Maybe they were driving across, you know, country. My goodness. God bless them. Taking that long trip. But why would you do such a thing? Because there was a good reason behind it. Well, Jesus had a good reason for coming. He came, the Bible says, that we might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Look at that verse. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, we have to understand, beloved, that when Jesus said this, he wasn't basically talking about life as we know it on earth only. See, sometimes we try to interpret these things with our human reasoning and with our own understanding and with our finite limitations. And we think, well, life. In other words, he came to give us a better life on this earth so that we could have more fun. Maybe have more picnics. Maybe do some things that we like to do in this life. And there's nothing wrong with having a good life on this earth. But that is not what this word implies to us, beloved. The Greek word that is used here in this particular verse of Scripture is the Greek word zoe. Z-O-E. Zoe. Jesus came because man had a need. And that need was to have imparted to his spiritual life, his spiritual condition, Zoe. Zoe means life as God has it. As a matter of fact, if you look it up there in the Greek concordance, you'll discover that's where we get our English word zoo from or zoology. Talking about animal and human life. But when it's used here in the scriptures, it means life as a principle. It means life in the absolute sense. It means life as God has it. And so Jesus is saying here, I've been sent from above, I'm on a mission, and it's needful that I impart zoe, or the life of God, or absolute life, unto the people of God. Hold that thought there and turn on back to John's Gospel, chapter 5. And you'll get a better idea of what Jesus was talking about. In John 5 and verse 26. This life is the same life that the Father has in Himself. And the same life that the Father gave to His Son to have in Himself. Notice this. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. In other words, the life that he was referring to was life as God himself has it. So when Jesus talked about coming to give us life, you can then understand 
He was wanting to reverse the process of death. Satan came to steal. Satan came to kill. Satan came to destroy. And he did that in the very beginning. He separated man from God. And man became a partaker of the satanic nature. And no longer was man operating from the life principle of God. He was operating from the death principle of Satan. He was operating out of death as Satan knows it. Not out of life as God knows it. And beloved, that death made a mess out of man. As a matter of fact, I want you to look, if you would please, to Ephesians in chapter 4. We want to look at verse 18. Man was in a desperate way. The condition of his life was pathetic. He had no solution to the problems that he faced. And he was on a crash course with destruction. In verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, Having the understanding darkened. Man, when he fell from the presence of God, had his understanding darkened. Notice this. Being alienated from the Zoe of God. Alienated from the life of God. See, because of the fall, man was alienated from the life of God. Now, he was still alive... But the Bible says, he's dead while he liveth. See, sometimes the Bible speaks in ways that it's hard for people to understand. How can I be dead while I live? Well, to better understand that, you've got to know, and I've got to know, that man is a tripart being, a triune being. He is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. The body that we see is not the real part of man. It is only the earth suit or the earth house or tabernacle that we live in to have expression in the material world in which we live. This material body is not fit for heaven. In order for us to, to, to really take this body into heaven, the body has to undergo a change. It has got to be transformed and changed by the power of God. And it will someday in the twinkling of an eye. But the body as we see it right now is in a fallen state and condition. And it's not really able to enter into the kingdom of God. So we have to understand that man being a trite part being living in this earth suit is not just made out of material substance. Man is a spirit and the spirit part of man is the real part of man that is in the likeness and image of God. Now remember this, God is eternal. And God made man to be eternal. And if the part of man that is eternal is his body, then we have to ask, why does it die? See, the part of man that's eternal is a spirit. And his spirit will never die. His spirit will live on forever and ever. But his spirit can be under the power or persuasions of two influences. That is, the, the life of God or the life of Satan. Zoe or death. Well, man was hooked up with God in the beginning. We understand that. But now look at what this verse says. He was alienated from the life of God 
through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, go on back to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at this. And verse 1, And you have the quickened who were dead. We were dead. Every person was dead. See, dead while we lived means his spirit was dead and not alive unto God. So, spiritually, man was alienated from God. He was separated from God. And his spirit was under the nature of Satan. He took upon himself the satanic nature, which we'll see right here. Wherein in time past, verse 2, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Everyone was dead in sin. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. And so we see here, man was under a satanic nature. His spirit was alienated from God. He was alive, but he was living by death. Now his soul was darkened, his mind was darkened as a result of the fall, and his body became mortal, subject to death. But his spirit will never die. It can change natures, but it'll never cease to exist. See, we get confused because we think that death means total annihilation, but that's not true. All death is, is taking upon ourselves the nature of Satan, and that's what man did. He hooked up with the devil. We could say it that way. And so now you can see that Jesus had to come. Why? Because man was alienated from this life that he had in the beginning. God did not make Adam a living death. He made him a living spirit being who was a partaker of God Himself, you see. And as a result of that, he could have lived forever had he not sinned. So we then must understand that man spiritually was separated from God and he had no way back to the Father after the fall. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 gives us some insight into this happening. It gives us instruction. It tells us, if you want to look at it, you can. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So this death that he's referring to is not just physical death. It's spiritual death that results in physical death. Now, if spiritual death was allowed to run its full course, beloved, without any intervention from God at all, what would take place is this. Man whose spirit was dead would then think as the devil thinks and reason as the devil reasons and then finally to begin to act the way the devil acts. His heart would be wicked, his thoughts would be wrong, his actions and his deeds would be wrong in the sight of God. At the time of his physical death, and his physical death would die now because it's subject to death, which it wasn't beforehand, would go back to the dust of the earth, his soul and spirit would depart and go into what is termed hell or Hades right now. The present hell is the holding place of those who die who are not in Christ. 
where they would await the final judgment, at which time they would be cast then into the lake of fire forever and ever. Man was on that crash course of destruction and would have continued on that course unless God did something to intervene on man's behalf. And if God would have turned His back on society and mankind, every single one of us would spend our eternity in the lake of fire. Now, that's a horrible thought. It's a horrifying thought, isn't it? Okay. And it's all the result of one man's disobedience in sin and allowing death to enter into the world. So then sin, which is rebellion against God, caused man to forfeit this precious thing called life. Someone says this, but I'm alive and breathing and I'm well. No, you're not. You're dead and you don't know it. Man, what do you mean I'm dead? I'm alive. No, on the inside, if you're not born again, you are dead. Without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world, eternally lost and on your way to destruction. And that's the man on the inside that lives forever. Your body won't live forever, but your spirit and soul will live forever. Now, your body will be changed to accommodate your eternity in damnation. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? Well, knowing that this took place, God made provisions. I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Leviticus. See, this is why Jesus had to come. And remember, we're talking about Jesus. I want you to appreciate Jesus like you never have. When we get through with this, I want you to see Him in a light. I'll tell you what, that'll make you fall in love with Him all over again. Amen? Man was in that condition. Man was eternally lost. And heaven had to do something to help mankind. You know, I'll tell you, it just really does get me and rub me the wrong way when people say that, well, maybe God doesn't want to help people. My goodness, if God didn't want to help people, all he had to do was turn his back on man from the very beginning. Isn't that true? See, God sometimes trying to, tries to reason with our mentality. He says, if I didn't spare my son but delivered him up for you all, how in the world can I not with him freely, shall I not with him freely give you all things? Isn't that what it says in Romans 8.32? Well, maybe God didn't want to bail you out this time. Are you kidding me? My goodness, it's too late for that. He sent Jesus. I said it's too late for that kind of reasoning because he already sent Jesus. And if he didn't want to help, he would never send Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus left. I know, but he said, I'm giving you another helper. Didn't he? I'm sending you another helper, the comforter, the Holy Ghost. And when he comes, he'll be your paraclete, your helper, your intercessor, your standby. He'll help you in this life. God's always reaching out to help mankind. Look at Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. Man forfeited life as God has it. You ready for this? And he took upon himself death as Satan has it. Whew. Jesus said, you are of your father the devil. He's a liar and the father of all lies, didn't he? And you're just like him because you have his nature. On the inside, you're dead spiritually. You know, you can clean yourself up as much as you want and still your spirit will be dead. You can take all kinds of baths on the outside. You can go through all kinds of ritualistic cleansings and still you'll be dead on the inside. Beloved, 
We could read right on through the book of Leviticus from the law right on through Moses until, you know, Jesus finally came. And there wasn't one blood sacrifice that was able to cleanse man spiritually. Isn't that right? His spirit was still dead unto God. He still had the problem of death to deal with. And he had no way of escape. He had no way out. His eternity was hanging in the balance. And God, deity, the government of heaven, either had to act on our part or it was all over for mankind. Well, the life of the flesh, in verse 11, says, is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Now, I realize that we're limited in our understanding. But, you know, we've got to take God's word for it. What Adam did was a federal offense. Can you see that? Adam sinned against the government of heaven. Adam's blood sin-stained all the heavenly utensils of worship. Man was banned from the presence of God, banished, an outcast. Now a walking death, living under darkness, groping about, not knowing his purpose of life, not knowing his identity, and not allowed to approach the presence of a holy God. 4,000 years went by. And in the process of time, God began to reveal to man his dilemma and his condition. Although man had a difficult time understanding it. But here was a revelation given to man that, look, the only way that you can be free would be through a blood sacrifice. That's the only way that you can be free. You have forfeited life for death. You're separated from God. And now the only way the condition of death could possibly be removed would be if there would be a sacrifice made by someone who can stand in the gap and fill up the hedge and mediate between both God and man. Man can't do it and God can't do it just in heaven. Beloved, that brings us to the incarnation. You know, we're celebrating this, this month of December, the birth of our Lord. And we need to be equipped with understanding so that we can celebrate it the way God wants us to with knowledge and appreciation. Not just go through the form and the ritual and the tradition and all that. I'm talking about gaining insight and understanding by the Holy Ghost as to why Jesus had to become a man. You see, the atonement could only be made if blood was shed. The victim and the offerer had to be identified. 
And in the person of Jesus Christ, we have a hypostatic union. It is the union of God and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. He was always Christ, but He was not called Jesus until Mary gave birth to Him in Bethlehem. As a result of His physical birth, He identifies Himself with humanity. As a result of His pre-existence with the Father, He represents deity. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 6, we are told, Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. The child that is born is the humanity of Jesus. The son that was given is the deity of Jesus. And so we see a hypostatic union taking place. And again, I know we have finite limitations. And I, again, I know it sometimes short circuits our fuses. But beloved, with God all things are possible. And God Himself became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes you come across these people who want to say that you should believe in this one, you should believe in that one, you should believe this and you should believe that, and it doesn't really matter what you believe. I'm going to tell you something right now. Anyone who can talk like that will one day be accursed of God. Because it does matter who you believe in. It does matter what you believe in. It's not enough to be, believe in a supreme being. It's not enough to believe in an almighty God. A universal God, if you will. It's not enough. God Almighty sent His Son. Unto us a Son was given. He became a man and walked upon this earth as the God-man, Emmanuel, God who is with us. Can you imagine the One that spoke the world into being? The One that gave a decree that the waters will not pass over? The One who established the earth and the limitations thereof? The one who hung all the stars out in the sky and called them all by name. The one who can in the palm of his hand hold all the waters of all the seas and all the moisture in all the universe. Became a man. For a period of time to walk upon this earth, the God-man... He came with a purpose. He came on a mission. There was something He needed to accomplish. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to destroy the works of the devil. But that's not enough. He came to give you Zoe. He came to give me Zoe. Life as God has it. Absolute life. You know what, beloved? I talked to us about God showing us on a, in a theater, what Jesus did to destroy the devil. And that's going to be a glorious movie to see. But there's another one that's going to take place. When this flesh is disrobed, when we put off this flesh, we're going to see each other glorified. If you looked in that mirror and God allowed the flesh to be peeled away for a moment, you couldn't stand what you would see.
if you were looking through the eyes of your flesh. Do we know what glory God has deposited in us? Do we have any inkling of what kind of life is on the inside of us right now? I want you to stay with me here as we talk about this. And just listen carefully. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. This God-man has got to offer up his life, the son that is given. And he has got to shed his blood. There has got to be a sacrifice that would be made after which one would endure divine judgment so as to satisfy the claims of justice that were being held against mankind. No one else qualified to do this because there was not another human being who was a son given and a child born. No one else ever experienced a hypostatic union that is the incarnation, that is God deity Himself taking on humanity and becoming one with humanity. No one else did that. Anyone else who could say that you can get to God through anybody else does not understand God. That person's blood is tainted with sin like yours and mine. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself and no one else. And they view Jesus as only being a good person, a great teacher, a wonderful prophet of God. But I beg to differ. He was not just a good person. He was not just a great teacher. I want you to know that He was the great I Am. He was the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the bright, the morning star, the Lion of Judah, the Lily of the Valley, the Rose of Sharon. He was the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one given, the Son that was born unto us. He's the first, the last, and everything in between. He's Jehovah God manifest in the flesh, walking on this earth in the form of a man. That's who He was. Amen. Not what everybody else might think. And oh, some shudder when you say that. Oh, I would just pray that it would shake the darkness right out of them. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. You see, blood, it says here, had to be sacrificed to make an atonement for the soul. The only one that could possibly qualify was the person of Jesus Christ because his sin was not tainted with blood. And this is his mission once again, to remove through the procedure of God the death that was passed upon all mankind through the fall of Adam. That ugly, horrendous thing that lodged itself in the heart of every individual human has got to be removed through the process of God and God alone. Good works can't do it. Religion can't do it. The traditions of men will never get the job done. It had to be a miraculous work of God. So let's hold the thought. See, it's not enough. If God cannot impart eternal life, Zoe, to your spirit or mind, then you know what? What Jesus did was in vain. If 
I'm no different after His resurrection and my acceptance of Him in spirit. His work is null and void. It means nothing. It gets me nowhere. Because I still can't stand in the presence of a holy God in that condition. Can you see that? So Jesus came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to see how He did it. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, if you would, please. Was a son given for you? Was a child born for you? What was His name? Was He just a good man? Was He just a great teacher? Was He just another prophet? Or was He even a God? No. He was the God. The God-man. And I want you to see something here, beloved. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, we're talking about Jesus now. All we like sheep have gone astray. Were you astray? We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord had laid on Buddha, Muhammad, Hare Krishna. The Lord had laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Your iniquity was laid on him. Your sin was laid on him. Your rebellion was laid on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a shear before her shears is dumb. He opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He, he made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, his death was voluntary. His death was vicarious. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Notice what Leviticus said, Leviticus said back there in 1711. Only through the blood sacrifice and through the, with the atonement be made for sin. Isn't that right? Well, it says he, he, he shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. His, he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Beloved, that's talking about Jesus doing all that for you and for me. Read that like you've never read it before. This Jesus that some toy with, this Jesus that some say he was only a good man, God made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? God laid on him the iniquity of us all. God's divine judgment fell upon Jesus when it should have fallen upon you and upon me, but it fell upon him instead. His suffering and his substitution was vicarious. It was for us. It was not for himself. It was for you and it was for me because of that ugly thing called death on the inside of us that we have no escape from. And God looked over the banisters of heaven. And God saw the travail of his soul. And God said, it is enough. The penalty has been paid. The price has been paid. The demands of justice have been met. 
It's all finished now. And all that took place in the regions of the damned. And as I said last week, God brought him forth from that place. Jesus arose from the dead. He hurled off from Himself all the forces of darkness that tried to prevent His entrance up there into the heavenly holies of holies. He took His own blood into the heavenly holy place. And right there before the cherubim and the seraphim where where Adam and Eve were kicked out, where they had no access to God, He walked right through them, walked right up to the throne of God. He took His blood. He sprinkled it on the mercy seat, on all the heavenly utensils of worship, And God the Father saw the blood that was shed and applied to all these utensils of worship. And as a result of that blood, the new and everlasting covenant was ratified. And in the sight of God, man has been redeemed. We are His purchased possession. The whole earth, as far as God is concerned, can now freely come and drink from the waters of life. Waters, if one drinks from, one will never thirst again. If you eat the bread of life, you'll never hunger again, the Bible says. But wait a minute. That took place up there. And still nothing has taken place down here. See, that wasn't the end of all that Jesus had to do. He came to manifest something that if Adam did have, I'd like to question how much of it he had. Now, please bear with me. We know that Adam was made in the likeness and the image of God. But there was also the the opportunity for him to partake of the tree of life. Remember that? But he partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let your mind think for a while. Was there a possibility that had he partaken from the tree of life, he would have been elevated even to a higher degree of life? Remember, we're talking about absolutes now. Absolutes means the absence of the opposite force. You know, there is a form of life called animal life that does not equal human life. There is the life of the angel that is not human life. Isn't this true? There are different degrees of being glorified and different degrees of resurrection glory. Isn't that true? Okay. There are different life forms. There's a different body of the cherubim, the seraphim, and so on. This body's not going to be the same. It's going to be changed and be glorified. So whatever it was that Adam had, the life that he had, was there a possibility he could have been elevated to a higher life that is the exact zoe of God? Could he have been a shade lower than that? The Bible says man was made a shade lower. Did you hear that? Okay. A shade lower. Think, keep, keep thinking about that. A shade lower. Well, Jesus came to bring not a shade lower. He came to manifest the Zoe of God. Life as God has it. I want you to turn with me to 1 John, if you would please, chapter 1. He came to bring... See, it was necessary that God finish the work by the impartation of Zoe life to every person that would call upon Him in faith. Because, you see, beloved, God had to ransom man by the offering of His own life, of His own Son. And the only way He could pay the price is by doing that. And therefore, 
the man that would accept him would then be a partaker of the exact life and nature of God Himself. And we're talking about exact, the same life. Okay? Look at 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For this life was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have seen it and bear witness. And we show unto you that Zoe, that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. The very Zoe or the life of God was manifested in this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the author of this life. As a matter of fact, you can look up some scriptures. You know the verse in John three fifteen and 16 that says, Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have what? Not have a lower form of life, but have life as God has it. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son unto us. A Son is given. This Son manifested the life of God. Why? That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have Zoe. That is, life as God has it. Life in its absolute sense. Absolute life, absence, total absence of death or any darkness whatsoever. This life was manifested and He said, we saw it. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, speaking to Philip, who said to him, Master, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the Zoe, the life of God. No man comes back to the Father. You've got to see this man kicked out, banished from the from the kingdom of God, the presence of God. Cherubim and seraphim stand right there, preventing man's entrance once again. But now the forerunner, Jesus, has walked up to those, those creatures of God and said, you're going to have to let me through because He had the blood. He had the blood. And He went right on through. And beloved, you and I follow Him in. He's our forerunner. He's gone before us. And when we say, I accept the sacrifice of Jesus, I accept Him as my Savior, I get washed in His blood, and we walk right on through. The veil has been rent in twain. We enter the presence of God and say, Here I am, Abba Father. I belong to You now. I've got Your life on the inside of me. And You're welcome. Boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in your time of need. Oh, would to God our eyes would be open that we could see the possibilities that are ours as we walk into the presence of the Almighty Father. In Acts 3.15, He is called the Prince of Life, which means the author of life. In Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, likewise. In Hebrews 5, 8 through 10, write those verses down. It talks about Jesus is the author of life. Being first begotten from the dead now. He is the author of this Zoe of God. Now, I don't know if you can stand this Scripture. I might have to give you a warning label on this one. <laughs> Look at John's Gospel, chapter 5. If you would, please. John, chapter 5. And here's the warning. If you get the full revelation of this, you might be translated to glory. So unless you have your house ready, be careful. Right? 
We want to back it up to verse 19. John 5, 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he, he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily. Hold on, before I even comment on that verse. Did you notice that last verse? If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. There's no other way to the Father. Don't let anybody kid you. And don't let anybody around you be deceived. You take a bold stand and say, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. You can say you honor Jehovah God all you want. If you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father. You dishonor Him. There's no other way. Verily, verily. A double verily in the, in the Greek language means this is absolutely, positively true. Beyond anything. I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath zoe, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation or judgment, but is passed, passed, passed from death, from death, passed from death. The thing that was passed upon all men, we have passed from finally. Do you see what it took to get us there? Do you see the sacrifice it took to get us there? We have passed. In other words, if you believe on Jesus, if you accept Him as your Savior, when He comes into your heart, into your life, you have passed from death. This could not take place unless Jesus came. You have passed from death the condition of death, the satanic nature, unto Zoe, life as God has it. I want you to look at First John, if you would, please. First John in chapter 5. These scriptures, I'll tell you what, I, when I was a young Christian, these scriptures I just marveled at. I absolutely marveled at reading these verses of scripture. They melted my heart. They caused joy and jubilation in my life. I'll tell you what, I was ecstatic to know that you could know that you have eternal life and that when you depart this life, you'll go to be with God in glory. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, And this is the record that God has given, unto, uh, given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath Zoe. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not Zoe. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have the life of God. Life as God has it. Life in its absolute sense. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And what he is saying is, Zoe is the present possession of every believer. Every believer possesses. At the moment they call Jesus Lord, something takes place. The life and the nature of God Almighty 
is imparted into the spirit of the individual and that individual passes out of the realm of spiritual death into the realm of spiritual life and partakes of the divine nature of the living God. And they can all say together, I have the life of God in me. I have the life of God in me. I have Zoe. You hear people say sometimes, I'm going to have eternal life. No, you're not going to have it. If you're born again, you have it now. You have Zoe now. You have the life of God in you now. So Jesus was raised up from the dead. He made the sacrifice. He obtained an eternal redemption for us. Now I want you to see this. He is seated there at the Father's right hand. He is there on the throne. The work is done. And all He is waiting for is the response. Can you see that? He's waiting for a response. After you did all this work, would you want to sit back and see nobody respond? You want to talk about the glory and the hallelujahs that ring out in heaven when one sinner receives Zoe? Jesus, after doing all this work, putting forth all that effort, I'm going to tell you something. Someone says, you know, about human reasonings and emotions and, you know, do we really have to set them aside and all that and rise up? Jesus had to. He said, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me, didn't He? But not my will and emotions, but thine be done. Right? Didn't he say that? After all that he did to secure our redemption and to give us eternal life, you think he wants us to still walk around as a bunch of dead zombies under the powers of darkness? No! After all that effort, after all that work, after all he suffered, he sits back now on his throne right next to the Father. He sees the activity of the body of Christ on the earth as people begin to tell others about Him. And I'm telling you, when He hears one person say, Heavenly Father, I come to You in the name of Jesus. He's full of death. He's under the power of sin. Satan is His Lord. He's ugly on the inside. But He says, I know I can't save myself. I'm nothing but a sinner. But I read in your word and somebody told me that Jesus paid the price of my redemption. And so I come to you and I open up the door of my heart. Jesus, come into my life. I want you to know all heaven moves. I want you to know the angels begin to shout. They begin to sing. There's a dancing going on in heaven. I want you to know that Jesus, He just lights up brighter than you've ever seen Him before because somebody took what He did and applied it to His life. You talk about the hallelujahs that ring out of glory. What good would it be if we're still dead on the inside? You're not dead. You're alive, praise God. You've got the life of God in you. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. 
I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.